Well, Father God, we thank you for today. Father, I thank you that we can be in your, your house this morning. Father, we give you all the praise and glory for what you're doing here at Christ Church, what you're doing in our own lives, Father. Thank you for the love that you've shown to us, so much so that you sent your son to die for us. We give you all the praise and glory for that, Father. Pray that you be with us now as we hear your word. Speak to us, Father. Pray that my lips are your lips, my heart is your heart. Father, and that you move amongst us today. And as we leave this place, we won't just be hearers of the word, but we will be doers of it as well. And I ask all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning. As uh, Barry alluded to, I am not John Guest. Uh, I got that call that all preachers dread on Saturday, saying the preacher is uh, not well. And so uh, you will notice I uh, normally have notes for you on the screen, but I will not have notes for you on the screen uh, because we do not have time to prepare those notes on the screen. So you'll have to pay extra attention. I remember being in college and seminary whenever my professors said that we have no notes on the screen, I thought, oh man, I got to pay even more attention now because it's not written in front of me. But nonetheless, we are here. uh, As Barry already alluded to, we are in this new series called Encounter Missions. And myself and John, the other pastors, really been talking about this for a while. Something we really want to highlight here at Christ Church and really have a focus on, missions. You know, it's been a long time since we've had an international missions, uh, missions here at Christ Church. And it's really fitting that we come off of Choose Life, highlighting a lot of the ministries we have here at Christ Church, our local missions, such as Young Lives and Choices, a lot of the other ministries that we support here. It's fitting that we now turn our attention to uh, our Encounter Missions series. Just to give you a little history, you know, Christ Church uh, many years ago had a long-time missions focus to Uganda. And you've heard us maybe mention that from time to time, Encounter Uganda. And so we've entitled this series Encounter Missions because that time in Uganda was a wonderful time. Many folks in here have gone to those missions went uh, for 10 years or so, and there's still trips that are still going on as follow-up to that mission. And a lot of things that were started there in Uganda are still continuing on today. There was some training, a lot of spiritual training, pastors and leaders who are carrying that on uh, now. There's some microfinancing happening there uh, in Uganda, and that time it ended, and there's still some follow-up, but it was your work, Christ Church, that really made that possible. So for a number of years, we've been really looking for what's the next place that maybe God's calling us to. So about a year or so ago, we brought on Kathy Klein, our director of uh, missions. And after a year of praying and uh, traveling, preparation, we've really landed on a new mission that we're going to be talking about over the next number of weeks. And John has mentioned it a number of times, I know, in his sermons. uh, The trip and focus to uh, the Dominican Republic with Food for the Hungry. And we're going to be entitling that Encounter Dominican because we're doing almost the same thing we're doing in the Dominican as we did in Uganda. And so it's really powerful. I know a lot of folks have already uh, come and uh, been presented to Kathy and got a team that's going to be going. And we're going to be providing opportunities for you all to get involved as well because we really want to be a heart. Uh, We want to be a church after missions. We want to have that heart. We want to have that focus here at Christ Church. You know, it's interesting, I, uh, you know, Barry mentioned this the other day, uh, while, while he was praying, there was a funeral for Eleanor Kennedy that I had the honor of uh, performing on Friday, and I introduced myself to one of those folks there at the um, service, and I said, I'm from Christ Church. 
And she said, oh, that's the evangelistic church. That's the evangelistic church. And I thought, man, that's great. That's what I would want people to know about Christ Church. That's our focus. And as we talk about this over the next number of weeks, one of the things that we need to talk about is if we want to have a heart after missions, if we want to have a heart after God, we need to first follow him. We need to first follow him. And that's why you have, that's why we read the passage that we read there today. You know, there's a parable, a sobering parable of church's concern for evangelism throughout the nation. And it goes like this. On a dangerous seacoast where shipwrecks were frequent, a crude little life-saving station was built. The building was just a hut. There was only one boat, but the few devoted crewmen kept a constant watch over the sea with no thought for themselves. They went out day and night tirelessly searching for anyone who might need help. Many lives were saved by their devoted efforts. After a while, this station became famous. Some of those who were saved, as well as others in the surrounding area, wanted to become part of that work. They gave time and money for its support. New boats were brought in. Additional crews were trained. The station grew. Some of the members, though, became unhappy that the building was so crude. They felt a larger, nicer, more appropriate place would be better at the first refuge for those saved. So they replaced their emergency cots with hospital beds, better uh, furniture, and enlarged the building. Soon the station became a popular gathering place for its members to discuss the work and to visit with each other. They continued remodeling and decorating some more until the station looked more like a, like a charter club. Few members were interested in really going out on life-saving missions, so they hired professionals, crews to do the work on their behalf. The life-saving uh, motif still prevailed, the emblems and stationery, and there was still a liturgical lifeboat in the room where the club held its initiations. One day, a large ship was wrecked off the coast. And the hired crews brought in many of the boats, cold, wet, half-drowned people. They were dirty, bruised, and sick. The beautiful new club was messed up. So, the property committee immediately had a shower built outside, where the shipwrecked victims could be cleaned up before coming in. At the next meeting, there was then a split in membership. Most of the members wanted to stop the life-saving activities altogether, as it was kind of unpleasant and a bit of a hindrance while others wanted to keep the life-saving as primary focus because, after all, they were a life-saving station. But those members were voted down and told that if they wanted to build a life-saving station, they should build their own station miles down the road. As the years went on, the new station gradually faced the same problems. Few members who remained dedicated to life-saving again experienced the same thing. History repeated itself. And if you visit that coast today, you will find a number of exclusive clubs along the shore. Shipwrecks are still frequent, but most of the people drowned. Isn't it a striking illustration of the church? Striking illustration of the church throughout our country where it's become more of a club. Where the idea was to help save victims, but build new buildings. We gather just to have a social club. It's a striking illustration. But we have to understand that rescuing people from sin, rescuing people from a life in hell is really the focus of God. It's his greatest concern. Evangelism has always been the heart of God. That's why John 3:16 for God so loved the world that what he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish 
It was always the heart of God. Jesus, as well, came to seek and save what was lost. He would oftentimes remind the disciples of what his mission was. Let us go somewhere else, it says in Mark, to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. The Holy Spirit gives to those who believe the washing and regeneration of renewal. So you have to understand all of the Trinity. Evangelism is the key. It's the greatest concern throughout the scriptures where it's full of of, of, of forms and terms to talk about evangelize. In the New Testament alone, there's about 50 different forms and terms to use for evangelism, all culminating to the Great Commission. Go, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. That's why I loved the song that the choir sang, because that's the heart of it. It's the heart of the gospel. Go and make disciples of all nations. So here we have the account. Here we have the account of Jesus calling his disciples. So again, I encourage you to turn there if you can. We're in Matthew chapter 4. It's also in your service sheets where Jesus, walking beside the Sea of Galilee, sees two brothers. Now you have to understand, there's, this is not the first account of when the disciples actually met Jesus. If you turn over to John chapter 1, we find that, the, that those same disciples had already met Jesus. John 1.35, the next day, John, who was the Baptist, was again there with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Then it says in verse 40 of John chapter 1, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we found the Messiah. And he brought him to Jesus. So he said, well, this isn't the first call, so what, why is it important? We have to understand that the first call was to salvation. The first call to the disciples was to salvation. The next one was to service. The first call was to salvation. The next one was to service, was to mission, was to witness. Many of us have Receive that first call. We understand and know the Lord. He's the Lord of our life. We followed Him. The second call is for you. Second call is to now go and serve, make disciples in all nations. So he's so we see there in verse 18. He's walking beside the Sea of Galilee. He sees the two brothers. Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew, it says in verse 18. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen fishermen. I always thought it was interesting and striking, striking to me that Jesus was looking for partners in ministry. You know, if you think about it, Jesus could have done it all alone. Jesus could have done all the work all by himself, but that was never his plan. His plan was to call others, call other disciples to go and make other disciples. Jesus told his disciples in John 15, he says, you did not choose me. I chose you and appointed you so that you would go and bear much fruit. God always uses people to accomplish his work. Throughout all of the Bible, he's always used people to accomplish his work. And they've always had a heart after God. That was the key. You can't just go and assume I can go to serve or to be on mission or to evangelize, but not have a heart after God. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. 
It was Moses who was so desperate for the salvation of his people, cried out to God in Exodus 32, but please now forgive them their sin. But if not, Moses said, then blot me out of the book you have written. So passionate. So passionate that people would come to know who God was. The Lord told Daniel, those who are wise will shine like brightness of heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. And who could forget about Paul? Paul, the great evangelist, says, I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and foolish. This is why I am so eager to preach the gospel, it says in Romans 1. To you also who are in Rome. It was the heart of Paul. The heart of Paul. We've had today, even in this day and age, men who have sought after God, followed him. John Knox, who was really the leader of the Presbyterian church, says, give me Scotland or I will die. John Wesley considered the whole world his parish. And now we have, because of him, the Methodist church. God uses people to accomplish his work, doesn't he? The heart of the gospel is to go make disciples, to evangelize, to share the good news. But he uses everyday, ordinary people. He doesn't always use the most obvious of people, though, does he? You know, you think here, we think of these fishermen. Now, when I was thinking of fishermen, I, I think of uh, today's day and age of fishermen, people who do it kind of for fun, uh, who may have some nicer boats, and they're kind of doing it more for sporting. I know that uh, it reminded me of uh, two years ago when John was coming back to be the interim senior pastor. He invited Jamie and I down to uh, his place in uh, Key Largo where he was ministering. And he said, now, Jamie, Jared, we're going to talk about church stuff. We're going to talk about planning for the next year. One of the things we're going to do, though, is we're going to go fishing. So Jamie and I prepared. Pastor Jamie and I came down, and that morning that we were going to get up and go fishing, we thought, this is going to be dirty. This is going to be gross. So we got the grossest stuff that we could get on. Old t-shirts, junky shoes. Pastor Jamie, who was a semi-professional fisherman, put on this fishing shirt that had, like, random fish guts all over it. And so we walk out of our room, and John Guest is there in khakis and a white polo shirt. And we went, What? So then we get in a car and we go down the road to his friend's house who had a boat and we go into this huge house and we go on the other side where he's on the water and we see this pretty big fishing boat. We thought, wow, this might be a little nicer than we thought. So Jamie and I head for this little fishing boat and he goes, no, no, no. He goes, that's just my dinghy. There's my boat over there. And in comes this huge yacht. Uh, and it was stacked with three full-time crew members. We get on, and there's drinks and sandwiches. We didn't have to touch the fish. We didn't have to bait the fish. There was a guy there who took the fish and baited it for us, threw it in. All we had to do was, we didn't even cast it. All we had to do was, anytime a fish got on, we just yelled, fish on. He would pick up the pole, start reeling, and just hand it to us. And then we'd reel it in, and then when it got close, he would take it back, he would get the fish, and then he'd take a picture. And I thought, this is not fishing. We are yachting. It is not true. So we have this, Jamie and I have this picture of this this fish we caught. We didn't even, I didn't even touch it. That was the only time we touched that fish. These guys were the real deal. These were the real fishermen. Smelled like fishermen. Baited their own hooks. That was their job. That's what they did, probably as boys. Did it with their fathers. 
These were ordinary people. They were not probably skilled in a whole lot of other things. Maybe not even very highly educated. They were fishermen. That's what they did. That was their trade. But he used everyday ordinary people to accomplish his work. They weren't perfect. Many of the people in the Bible weren't perfect. Abraham was old. David was a kid. He was good with a rock. Thomas and Gideon, they were doubters. Rahab was a prostitute. Matthew was a tax collector. Naomi was a, was a widow. Paul was a murderer. So was David and Moses. Jonah at first ran from God, didn't he? Miriam was a gossip. Jeremiah was depressed. Elijah got burnt out. Martha worried. Mary was accused of being lazy. Samson was a womanizer. And Peter, Peter was just a fisherman. To end up denying Christ and got reinstated. He used everyday, ordinary people to carry out his work. Everyday, ordinary people. And so what does he say there? Look at verse 19. He says a profound thing. He says, come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. Come follow me and I will send you out to fish for people. Fishers of men. He says three things there. Come, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. I'm going to start with the second one. Follow me. See, if we want to have a heart after missions, if we want to have a heart to share the gospel with those around us, we have to first follow God. We have to understand that He sent His Son to die for us, to take away our sin, was the ultimate sacrifice. We need to confess that sin, make him the Lord of our lives. We need to first follow him. And then we need to be committed to spiritual growth. We can't just follow him randomly or every once in a while or maybe just on Sunday mornings. We need to follow him all the time. It says in 2 Peter 3, But grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. We need to have the heart after God. We need to follow Him. We can't fake it. We need to follow Him. The second thing He says there is, come, follow me. Now you may say, well, Jared, I don't, I don't, I'm not seeing the difference. Come, follow me, follow me. Listen. The disciples have to actually get out of the boat. They left everything and followed Jesus, didn't they? They, they, they left everything that they were comfortable doing. Everything that they knew. They knew how to fish. That's what they knew. But yet, they were willing to make that sacrifice and say, you know what, I'm going to go. You see, I think for a lot of churches, a lot of people, it's easy to say, I'm following after Jesus. You ask people in church, you say, do you know and love the Lord Jesus as your personal Savior? Yes, Absolutely. But not many people want to get out of their comfort zone to go and evangelize. Not many people want to say, you know what, there's a person at my work who doesn't know the Lord as their Savior. I'm going to go and talk to them or my neighbor or my family or my friends. I don't want to do that because I don't want to be uncomfortable. I don't want to, I don't want to make them uncomfortable. I don't want to be looked at differently. I don't want to sacrifice anything. I have my routine that I do. I, I can't do that. I'm in my comfort zone. Jesus is saying, come, follow me. Jesus said in Matthew 16, Whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake 
shall find it. There's many things in life that we're not comfortable doing. We get into our comfort zone. We do that here at the church. We come in and this is, we like it a certain way. Following after Jesus is point of being a little bit uncomfortable, but boy, is it rewarding. You know, if you ask Robbie, I used to joke with Robbie because uh, he's been taking the middle school students to Jamaica, uh, working on a, uh, a home there for some folks. And uh, I always joke with Robbie when I first came on staff. It's like, oh, you picked Jamaica, did you, for your missions? Yes, I bet you enjoy those missions there on the beach in Jamaica. And joking with him, I knew that the reality was is it was far from the truth. It was hot. It was dirty. They were uh, pouring concrete in the middle of the summer, fixing houses, fixing roads. There's nothing wonderful or pleasant about it. When you hear more about the Dominican Republic that you're going to hear next week, there's nothing comfortable about it. Yes, there's some resorts along the ocean, but you go five miles inland, and it's a third world country. Pastor Jamie and I and Kathy had a chance to be there last summer, and we're wading through raw sewage in the street. They had pigs that they would let run freely just to eat the trash, because they didn't know what to do with it. Naked children kind of running through, playing with whatever toys they had. Houses that you could see right through them. Made of half cinder blocks, half sheet metal. No roads, no running water, no latrines, nothing. Desolate. It wasn't comfortable. I remember looking down at my pants and my shoes halfway through and just covered in stuff. I remember walking by a house and a lady came out and they looked at us as somebody maybe that can come in and help. She said, she called Jamie and I in. She said, come, come, come. So we went into the house, and she took us, and this house was horrible, smelled horrible. No running water, no electricity, all dark. She took us to the back room, and there were her two boys, 9 and 11 years old, who had been laying in bed for 9 and 11 years, still wearing diapers, because of, they didn't have basic medical care. And she's pointing out to us, say, see, see, see. This is what's happening here in this town. We had an opportunity to pray with her, share the love of Jesus with her, but there was nothing comfortable about it. It was hot. Following after Jesus isn't always comfortable, but we go because it's the heart, and it's so rewarding. If you ask anybody that went to Jamaica, anybody that's ever gone on a mission trip, go, did you, did you, it was hot, it was tiring, it was hard work. People came to know and love the Lord Jesus as their personal Savior, it was so rewarding. It's so rewarding to follow after Jesus. But it's not always comfortable. So he says, come, follow me. Then he says, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Fishers of men. I always wondered about fishers of men. I, would wonder, I was wondering what would happen if they were carpenters. Would he say, I'm going to make you carpenters of men? Or what if they were farmers? What if these guys were farmers? Would he make, say, I'm making farmers of men? Or what if they were in the government? I always wondered, because you know, growing up, I always heard, I'm going to make you fishers of men. There's a song, Fishers of Men. I thought, well, what is it about fishermen? But then I realized, after meeting a bunch of fishermen and knowing what they do, that the qualities that a fisherman have are exactly the qualities that evangelists should have. The qualities of a fisherman are exactly the qualities that evangelists should have. Someone going about doing God's work in evangelism. So Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. First off, fishermen have to have patience, don't they? Have to have patience. Learn to wait. Secondly, fishermen need to have 
perseverance, don't they? Perseverance. You don't go out and catching everything every time you cast in. I remember I went fishing with Pastor Jamie uh, a few years ago, and we went from one side of the lake to another and back again. Pastor Barry's a fisherman. He knows what that's like. You have to be persevere. You have to go where you think the fish are going to be. And then you might have to go back again, depending on what type of day it is, depending on the, what the weather is, depending on whether, where the water is. You have to persevere. Because every time you cast in doesn't mean that you're going to get something. You have to persevere. If you know family and friends that don't know the Lord Jesus as their, per, as your, their personal Savior, you have to persevere. You may have to talk to them three, four, five, six times. I've done it in my life. You go back again and again and again. You persevere. I love when parents talk, talk to me about how much they're praying for their children, those that may, don't know the Lord. I was talking to a, a, a mother a few months ago who said, you know what? My uh, son doesn't know the Lord as, as his Savior. He's 30-some years old, and I've been praying for him for 30-some years, and I'm not going to give up. It's perseverance. It's perseverance. So they have patience. They have perseverance. As fishermen, too, they also have instincts for going to the right places and dropping their nets at the right time. Let me say that again. Fishermen have instincts for going to the right places and dropping their nets at the right time. Poor timing has lost lots of fish. And they do things to attract fish to come to them. You know, one of the things I was, when we were going through this last year, thinking about missions, I I wondered, what does the physical need have to do with the spiritual need there in these towns? And so I met with some of the folks from the uh, counter Uganda and talking with them, kind of strategizing, because we're going to be doing very similar things. And I said, well, how does meeting the physical needs, because they built wells and they did some microfinancing at these uh, our trips to Uganda, I said, how does that meet that spiritual need? I'm not sure I get it. And I remember him, them telling me, they said, listen, oftentimes you have to meet some spiritual needs to attract people, and then you can meet their, meet their physical needs to attract them to meet their spiritual needs. Because you can go and say, you need Jesus, and they're saying, listen, what I really need is a drink of water or my family's going to die tomorrow. And then I read this passage here that we just read. You know, Jesus calls his disciples. What does he do? He goes through and he meets physical needs. People are attracted to him. And then what does he do? He preaches the gospel to them. Urban Impact does this really well. They have sporting uh, uh, outreaches. They have educational outreaches. And what's happening? Kids are coming to these communities and they have an opportunity to preach the good news. It's the same thing with missions. As fishermen, too, they had to have courage. Not only have to have patience, not only they have to have perseverance, not only they have to uh, attract the fish and have instincts for, for putting their nets down at the right time, but they have to have courage. The Sea of Galilee was a horrible place because these storms would come up right over the mountains and just wipe out these boats. Terrible storms. And we read about those through Scripture, that they were caught in the storm or, or these boats capsized because these storms would just kind of come over the mountains and just uh, destroy the, the, the sea. So they had to have courage when they went out. So my question to you, if we want to have the heart of God, are you following God? Are you willing to go out to leave maybe the comfort zone? And are you willing to be, model what it means to be fishers of men, to have patience, perseverance, and courage. Are you willing to do that? Oh, it's so rewarding, church. It's so rewarding. I would want our church to be known for the fact that we are mission-minded, that we are a church full of serving people, 
That's why we're giving you opportunities, as many as we can, to get involved in serving. As Robert uh, plays for us, I'm going to close with this. Look at the response. You look at the response in verse 20. It says, At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left their boat and followed after him. It was immediate. It was at once they followed him. Understand, they already knew who Jesus was. They had already met him. So it wasn't like a hypnotic state where they went out and said, oh, here's a guy who says follow him, so I'm just going to drop whatever I do. I'm just going to follow him. They already knew who he was. They already knew what he came to do. They, were already, they knew that he was the Savior. The first call was to salvation. The second call was to move. So they went without hesitation, totally obedient. That's why they say obedience is the spark that lights passion. Are you willing to go? They didn't say, I'm going to wait around and to, to start witnessing, to start evangelizing, to start serving. I'm not, going to wait, I'm not waiting around until I, I read this book or I'm fully educated, Jesus. Or I, I, I need to finish the work I'm doing here. They went right away. They didn't hesitate. They went. Are you willing to go? Are you waiting around to serve? Are you waiting around to evangelize? Are you willing to go immediately? I leave you with this. D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody was a great uh, preacher, evangelist in the 1800s. There's a school in Chicago. There's a publishing company named after him, Dwight L. Moody. And he had a chance, Dwight L. Moody, to, to visit an art gallery. And he was really impressed with one of the paintings there. It was called Rock of Ages. And in this painting, there was a, a, a person who was clinging on to a cross, both hands, that this cross was embedded into a rock right on the sea. And you see all this coast, all the sea, uh, the stormy sea smashing against the rock. And he, was, he hung on tightly. And Dwight L. Moody said, what a powerful visual that is. Probably the most powerful I've ever seen until a few years later. He saw somebody else who made the same painting of the same guy, but it was a little bit different. There was the same guy, there was the same cross, there were rocks, this cross was in, embedded into the rock. The sea was crashing all around it. And the same man was holding on to the cross with one hand, but with the other hand he was saving somebody who was drowning. And Dwight L. Moody said that first picture was beautiful. But the second picture, that's even lovelier. Church, that should be our heart as well. We hold on to the cross. But we're, with the other hand, we're out there saving somebody who's drowning in the sea. And we save them by sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. So my question is, are you willing to follow? Are you willing to step out of your comfort zone? Are you waiting around? Are you going to go immediately? There's ministry all around us. There's opportunities to serve, opportunities all around us. So are you willing to go? Let's pray. God, we thank you for today. Thank you for what you can teach us in your word, Father. Father, thank you for the fact that you call us, everyday, ordinary people, to do your work, Father. Help us to know that, feel that, Father. That evangelism is the heart of you. So, Father, help us to follow after that, knowing that you've gifted us, empowered us to go and make other disciples, Father. Help us to go, to follow you, Father. 
And Father, help us to do that immediately, not wait around until we feel like we're prepared to do it or ready to go. Father, you've already gifted us and empowered us to do it now. So thank you for today. Again, I pray that we aren't just hearers of the word, but we will be doers of it as well. I ask all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.